are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Visceral. Familiar. Seeking. Jessica Mays is a composer, pianist, and singer-songwriter residing in New York City. Her music has been performed by numerous soloists and ensembles, both locally and abroad, including the Playground Ensemble, Nebula Ensemble, Thin Edge New Music Collective, and many others. Her music has received praise from such major publications as The Globe and the Boston Musical Intelligentsier. Mays currently manages the New York Philharmonic Very Young Composers Program alongside VYC founder and artistic director John Deke. Jessica. Hi. So good to meet you like this. Yeah, it's great meeting you too, finally. Right? It's been a Uh, long time coming. Yeah, a long time coming. (laughs) It seems like it. So uh, we're going to listen to uh, two of your complete pieces and then some movements of another piece. And I want to start out with uh, your piece, Look Again. Yeah. And this is for flute, clarinet, violin, cello, and piano. When did you write this? All right. So this would have been, ooh, I believe it was February of 2013, which was a a pretty bleak period of life. (laughs) Um, I had a lot going on, especially following 2012. 2012 was really like the the nosedive year. At least it felt like that at the time. And um, I remember having this commission that I had to do and um, feeling totally overwhelmed by everything going on in life. But I was like, work with it. You know, like how can I, how can I uh, capture, you know, this feeling, the yeah. the, the feels of, of life right now. <laughs> All the feels. All of the feels, yeah. Yeah, like I, um, so in 2011, I had graduated. I went to McGill University um, and I really, really wanted to stay in Montreal after I graduated. But um, after a series of different kinds of setbacks, um, there's a strike on campus. I wasn't able to find employment in time before my visa expired. I had to move back to the States. And um, yeah, that felt like, it felt like the city dumped me. Like I felt like it felt like a breakup because I was just so in love with where I was living. And Mm -hmm. so I had to move back home with my parents. You know, like it seems like every everybody getting their music degree <laughs> was doing that. And I was like join, joining the rallies of people who have to, you know, move at home with their parents while being in their, in their mid twenties. It was very depressing. I did not expect yeah. to be at that, at that place, but there's other things, you know, like there's some um, family illness going on. Um, my dog passed away. Like it was, and it was just all mm. like, bam, bam, bam. I don't know if that happens for you when it comes to like the Sometimes, hard times. It yeah. just seems to be like one after the other. And it's just like, wow. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. No, that's <laughs> going to happen. How much more how can much you pile more? on? <laughs> okay, here we go. And yeah. Oh man. I was working so many different music related jobs at that time. And I, I was just, I was, I was miserable. And yeah, look again. There, when I was in that period of my life where I was trying to figure out 
how how the heck I was going to move onward, especially with what looked to be like it, like things weren't going to things weren't going to improve for a while, especially yeah. with the family illness stuff. I had no idea what was going to happen with that. Um, I there's this thing that at least with my own psychology, which I'm you know daily trying to figure out. I would find myself reeling, you know, like thinking back, like I would wake up every day um, wondering if it'll ever feel the same, if that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's kind of a part of growth. And in many ways, I'm grateful for that year because in a sense, I was becoming an adult. There's something about, you know, before, you know, having to come back and face a lot of different demons and go through stuff. Um, you know, I was getting my master's degree. I I had like part-time work under the table. I was working illegally in a different country. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, so like, but it was like very carefree. I was a student. And for me, that was a very cloistered, you know, or not cloistered. It was a very, you know, closed off world. It was not the real yeah. world. It was protected. It was protected. You know, it's just, it wasn't dealing with a lot of different things. And I was a kid still. And now there was just all these different realities that are like, I knew we're going to be a part of being an adult. And yeah. anyway, um, with, with Look look Again, is the name of the piece, which I almost <laughs> forgot for a second. I was like, is it Looking Back? But <laughs> because it's been a little bit, it's been a little while since I've actually... Yeah. Thought of that period of my life, but my God, yeah, like every day for a little while, especially when um, things were fresh, my brain would just kind of rewind back like every morning as though, you know, like maybe things have changed and it's like, oh no, my, my dog's dead, you know, <laughs> like, oh, that's right, I work at this, this suck job. Oh, mm-hmm. that's right, I have to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, that's right, this thing is concerning me, you know, and... It was winter. It was winter time. It seemed endless. And I felt totally trapped, you know, in that period of life in a way that I had never felt, you know, when I was younger. Yeah. And yeah, I, I've identified that feeling with um, hardship, but also tragedy. Like when you, when you really, because everybody at some point is going to experience tragedy. It's just kind of, it goes along with life. That's, you know? that's life. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I've just kind of got to, at that time I got to experience the first time how I, how I process, or at least at that, at that time, um, dealing with hardship and tragedy and yeah. And this piece, <laughs> it was on one hand, one of my most mature pieces at that time, because I was really, at that time, I thought I was accurately capturing the feeling. Mm-hmm. Because when I was writing it out, and when I was listening to the rehearsals, I was feeling trapped in that music. Like, it was yeah. not a comfortable time for me. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's kind of funny about me is that, for example, during my undergraduate degree... Um, my music was very bright and like bright as in like, there's like, it, it just goes everywhere. There's like a lot of, yeah. 
you know, dispar disparities in sounds. Like, there's lots of really extreme registers. There's, like, a lot of stuff going on. Um, mm -hmm. Too much stuff. That's, that's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's me in undergraduate. It's, like, way too much. I think that's that's a lot of people. You know, like, and you I was know, like, well, it's, like... It's, it's complex. So, you know, this is how I fit in <laughs> by putting in, like, too much shit, you know. But, yeah, and I, I was very uncomfortable with repetition. Like, mm -hmm. even as a kid, I, I never liked repetition in things. Like, I, when I was first exposed to minimalism, it made me very uncomfortable. It was just like, I did not like it. That's and so interesting. I know, I know. And then, like, <laughs> finally I go through some life stuff. <laughs> and it wasn't that I was, like, intentionally trying to go a minimalist route. It's just, that's just what had to happen at that specific time, you know, to make that piece work for me. And I had never had that before with any other pieces. Like all other pieces, it was just like, well, I don't know, I'm writing a thesis. Oh, I don't know, I'm going to write this thing. Like, and there was always kind of this need to, on a deeper level, like I think in my immaturity, like I had a lot of insecurity that was very apparent in my music, at least when I listened to it. That's why there was too much stuff. Because mm -hmm. I was trying to hide the fact that I had no idea what the hell I was doing, you know? You know? <laughs> Whereas like with this one, it was just like all of that, all of the BS went away and I was just like, I, I, I can only handle so much stuff right. and there's only so much that I need to express exactly what it is that I'm feeling. And that's, that's through this repeated pattern and this sense of like, like when I was living with my family and we were going through the things and going through life and doing the day to day stuff, there is kind of a like, trying to get by day by day and, and being happy and, you know, making it work. So in the chords, there's kind of like a kaleidoscopic, am I saying that word right? Kaleidoscopic yeah. sort of feel to things. Like there's a bright shimmeriness, but it's also at the same time, for me, one of the darker pieces I've ever written. As far as like, for me personally, it makes it feels like trapped it feels trapped and trying to get away i mean with what you were describing of like kind of waking up every day and thinking back and saying oh no the the, the it, it's are. still bad yeah. you know <laughs> you're you're kind of living a real life groundhog day type of yes type of thing yeah. you know like like no it's it's still Here the same are. and yeah. that's and that's really like that's what I mean. It's so interesting to say that you say at the you know when you were younger you you were kind of turned off by repetition, and then it took this kind of life repetition to communicate like well maybe it, it, it's just like you were taking your your experience day to day and and almost just translating it yes into yeah. music. And I mean, this was, this was the piece of yours that I listened to first and the reason I reached out to you. And I, I mean, I love the internal churning and the gestural approach you're taking. And, and I mean, harmonically, it seems like you, you're, you are able to kind of pivot really nicely from sonority to sonority. So can you talk a little bit about that, 
the I, I really get this like harmonic fluidity in this piece coming from mm. you. Thank you. <laughs> um, as far as like building the chords that I was using, from what I remember of that time, because I remember that there are other projects around that time where I was kind of in a similar flow where mm -hmm. I was trying to fight, you know, being totally paralyzed and um, keeping the flow going. So I would come up with all these different charts. Like I would just sit at the piano um, and just come up with all these different voicings, um, sliding to other voicings and other chords and just kind of shifting around. And I came up with the one for Look Again, um, which follows the structure. Okay, let me see if I can say this without making it confusing. Okay, I'll just I'm use. I'll, are you ready? Are you ready for I'm, this? I'm really ready. Hold on to your seat. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I'm just going to talk about the form of the chords and how they shift from one to the next. Okay, it's coming back to me. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> so there's going to be some capital letters and some lowercase letters. Okay. <laughs> I haven't been in school for a while, so. <laughs> Forgive me if things aren't totally technical. Right <laughs> that's, that's fine. All right. So there's, there's like A world, B world, and C world, right? Okay. Let's say there's capital A. So that's like, that is a firm, that, that's like where you hear that opening. You hear the chords. You can hear, bam, there's a chord right there. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lowercase a, which is kind of like, it's the same makeup of, of the capital A chord, but it's kind of like the residue. Okay. Okay. So yeah. that's lower, lowercase letters are the residue using the same, you know, pitches. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, capital A is like, you are hearing that it is active. It is happening right now. So the form is capital A, lowercase a, capital B, lowercase b, c where C is like it's transitioning into the next permutation of this cycle, okay? And okay. I, believe, I believe it happens five different times. I actually have my program note here too. Yeah, so yeah, the piece comprises of a progression of five chords, right? So there's so much repetition. I, I really put players through the ringer because they have to really keep their eye on the page with this one. That's kind of a part of the game. Mm, okay. So in a way, like, and it's, it's a pretty lengthy piece for the amount of repetition. Like every page represents, and it's like you're playing the same materials, but it's different, so you have to keep your eye on it, but you're always looking back. So you're like mm -hmm. literally looking again and again and again. And which I, I think that would be fun to play, but also maddening, which is kind of what I was going for. So here we go. <laughs> All right, so again, there's the capital A, B, C, and residue harmonies, which is the, the lowercase, right? So mm -hmm. capital A, lowercase a, and then it repeats back to capital A, big B, lowercase b. Then it repeats back to capital A, capital B, then the C transitional harmony to the next one, A, little a, A, B, little b. A, B, C, to the next one. And it does this okay. over 
and over again. But yeah, like, and there's repeats within repeats. It's just, it's, it's a lot of constantly turning around. And then the piece kind of comes to a climax and then there's this kind of marching descent that goes kind of lower and lower. And I mean, yeah. given this, given the, the background that you've, that you've given us about this piece, I mean, you know, the things that were going on in your life, are you, is this a statement you're making with this ending or is this just a music, like a function of kind of where the piece had to go musically? With the amount of repetition that was going on early in the piece, I definitely felt that it was time for a transition in the materials. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're right. It is a complete break off and not really a change of character. Like it's still, it's, it's like, it's even more overtly bleak towards the end, at least for me. (laughs) And, and the heart and the harmonic language doesn't change either. I mean, you still get, you, you still get the, the, basically the harmonies that you've been hearing just presented in, in this new form. It's just like yeah. it, trudging is the wrong word, yes. but there, there no, is this kind good. of, yeah. okay. <laughs> there is this kind of like, okay, we've, we've gone through this period of churning and now we're just going to march off and die somewhere or something, you know, like, <laughs> cause the piece just kind of, it does kind of just fade, you know? Yeah. It's almost like the feeling of this con- this piece is all about kind of reflecting and just going back and kind of, not even kind of in an absolutely obsessive manner, going back on the same materials again and again for half of the piece, a little over half of the piece, even though things are represented in different permutations and, you know, it's just transposed in different areas, it's higher now, it's lower now, you know, it's still the mm-hmm. same materials. And then there's like this need for change where, okay, now all of that, the lowercase residue harmony is taken away. Now it's just the chords. Now it's being sped up. So it's like an almost obsessive, like... You're right. I have to figure this out or, I mean, it's not, I don't, it is kind of like a seeking or a searching, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just a constant obsession that eventually has a release that kind of sounds like it's giving up on itself. Like it sounds mm-hmm. like it's just kind of turning away from that obsession or trying to, but then I don't know if you remember at the end, there's the that chord progression is brought back but it's very fast and it's high up in the piccolo and the bass clarinet mm-hmm. so it's like kind of there's these little reflections these little memories it's like still in there even though you're like trying to move onward right yeah <laughs> you know it's still there that and another thing um there's this theme from the very beginning that i remember um being pretty intent on putting in this piece. There's like a repeated F that's in the piano. Mm -hmm. And though this chord progression presents change as far as like where it's going to and from, you know, like it's presented in different kaleidoscopic (laughs) permutations, that F never changes. 
So it's like a consistency through the entire piece. And towards the end, it ends with a sustained chord that's supposed to also kind of capture that, that, that sustained presence, you know, mm-hmm. you know, just that feeling that, you know, that, that I think Louis C.K. called it like the forever empty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm really not this, I'm not a bleak person, you know, like, like it's just, when it comes to my composurally stuff, whatever for whatever reason, the, when I get commissions, it's when I'm really trying to figure out life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it just kind of happens this way. Yeah, but yeah, like there's that 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 well that's in there, <laughs> that that feeling that's in there that's always present. It's never changing. Like I, I try right. to capture that. I try to have. Some, some sort of sustained presence that despite all the change, it'll always be there, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go ahead and listen to it now. Um, who are we going to hear on this recording? Um, this is the Playground Ensemble from Denver, Colorado. Awesome. So this is Look Again. Thank you. 
So let's talk about your next piece. And this, uh, we're just going to listen to two movements of this. And this is On Shapes and Figures. Mm. And this is for string quartet and bass clarinet. And uh, you wrote this just a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, the first two movements that we're going to listen to, On Resilience Springs, the first one. And then the second one is called In a Box. And I read in in your notes that the quintet is spread around the audience. They're in kind of like the corners of the room. And I'm wondering, how did you use this spatial configuration in a musical way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really excited um, to work um, at Loon Lake Live um, with the director, Catherine Beeson. She has an ensemble. She has an entire music festival over there. And I had been wanting to, exper- um, to experiment with different ways um, to configure ensembles, to, mm-hmm. to experiment with what it would feel like to be in the audience, basically. Like how, I just don't, I, I haven't experienced a lot of that. Like usually when I go to a show, um, the ensembles, you know, stage front, you know, right. you see them yeah. up there and like, what would it be like? The one that actually has them spread all around you is the third movement, though. So that's not the one that we're listening to. Oh, okay. Yeah. So with um, on so they sorry they actually like get up. They have to get up and move. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. With the first one, let me make sure that I'm remembering this right. With the first one, it's just a standard setup where they're up in the front. So okay. Um. Same with in a box. That's the second movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with the third movement, I have um, the base. Well, it depends on the space. Like that's another thing that I was wondering. Like, how do you actually? How do you? How do you um, create a piece that that's supposed to play around with the space? Like the space that the the audience is going to be in, that the ensemble is going to be in. When I mean the space can be any different size, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and in my case, like um, because there's two different um, performances and the space was different for each of them. Like one of them was more of a long rectangle, and then the other one, like with my last movement, it has musicians. Like all the musicians, musicians are up front, but one by one. After each repetition, there's repetition in that piece as well. That's also having to do with loss. So I don't know. Maybe there's a theme here with me. <laughs> but they they get up, they walk out, and they they walk off stage. They're supposed to okay. walk to some kind of backstage, leaving the the remaining ensemble members. But it's one by one until it's just the cello that's left alone. But you're hearing the distance between these musicians. You mm-hmm. know. And you're feeling their absence, you know, and yeah. but you're also feeling their presence at the same time. So anyway, yeah, I wanted to like think of like the psychology of like, how can I add this extra level to a musical experience? And how can I do it in, in like a really profound, cool way? Um, I'm, I don't know, like I, I would love to do a lot more with that actually but it was mm-hmm. it was tricky because like for example with that last movement that I did where the musicians are walking off stage yeah with one of the spaces it was a little bit more straightforward because it was just your standard rectangular room 
there's a door off to the side. They just go towards where the museum entrance is at or something like that. Mm-hmm. But with another one, with the, with the second space, um, the, it was kind of a, like, what is it, like an ensemble in the round or something like that. Oh, so, like, yeah. mm-hmm. it was actually um, a synagogue. Like, it was, it was like a church or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it was very rustic. But there were pews, like, surrounding the ensemble. And there's kind of a kitchen. It was kind of a weird L-shaped space. So it was, it was just kind of this thing where I had to kind of, we had to all reconfigure things. And we had to think about timing, too. Yeah. Like the, the time to travel away from the ensemble to go to the kitchen. But anywho, so yeah, there, there's, it comes with its own levels of, of, with its own challenges that you have to kind of figure out or um, just know what space that you're looking for or try not to make it too overly complicated. But I, I don't know, I find that stuff really, really fascinating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with the first piece, just a standard ensemble up front, same with the... The second okay. one as well. The first piece, I mean, mm-hmm. what are, or the the two that we're going to listen to, what are the kind of shapes or figures that you're kind of considering and, yeah. and how, and how, and how are you transferring those ideas to music? Sure. Yeah. So with the, I mean, it's, I don't mean to be too, um, too much on the nose with this first one, but it is what it is. It's a spring. <laughs> there you go. It's a spring. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, nice talking to you. There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it really, it really reminded yeah. like spring wasn't exactly the thing that it reminded me of. It it actually reminds me of like when you uh, spin a coin on a table and then it just kind of like slowly settles in, like you know, it. like. Yeah, yeah. And and like gets faster and faster and faster and then eventually comes to a stop. That's what those uh, chords and the strings like really reminded me of. And I mean that 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 has that kind of, you know, it. I, I'm not. I, you know, I'm not a physics person at all. But I would assume that <laughs> some of that stuff is related. You know, yeah. in terms of motion. Yeah. So okay. Yeah, and yeah. then and so then there, there's you know, a the spring quality. Of you know, of course, they're like doing ricochet with their with their mm-hmm. clothes, um, and that sort of thing. There's some other stuff that was going on in that piece because along with doing space spacing configurations, there like every movement presented presented some sort of communicative challenge between the ensemble members because I like to make life hard. So for example. <laughs> <laughs> It that's what you enough. do. That's what you do as a composer. It's just like, yeah, of course. How can, make, how can I make this harder for the musician? I'm what just kind joking. of roadblocks can I throw <laughs> in my own way on this? Yeah. So yeah, with the first piece with um, springs or on resilience, the ensemble has to maintain complete control and eye contact, and they have to communicate with each other because with each and every one of them, they're instructed to speed up at different rates, to slow down at different rates, but to all arrive at the same place. Okay, yeah. There's a lot of yeah, that. Yeah, that would be hard. There's a lot of different tests of doing that. <laughs> but like, and usually there's like one member who is maintaining something that is actually consistent. So he can actually cue them to come in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's, that's the, the challenge that happens with that first movement 
And then with the second movement, or should I move on to the second movement? Yeah, sure. Yeah? Okay, so in a box. Like, could you hear, because I want to hear your opinion. <laughs> like, were you able to, because I, I liked your coin. I liked your coin. Mm -hmm. Let's hear about what you think about the box. It seems, I mean, you, you use a lot of repetition in this. And it seems <laughs> like if the music is, you know, embodying a character, it seems like that character is trapped in a box like it's not going anywhere because it just kind of keeps circling and cycling through the same material in a way it yeah. seems like it's searching for the edges but just can't quite find it there you go <laughs> yeah i mean that and having yeah <laughs> 10 points to robert <laughs> that and like having the the metronome involved too mm -hmm. was this and it's it's again it's not there's so many different things that the, so many different rules that the musicians have to uphold to in that movement. Um, whether it be the bass clarinet and the cello, they're like playing a unison. I think it's mostly unison. It kind of goes off a little bit, but they're, they're mm -hmm. basically playing the same thing. Right. So they have to make sure that they're absolutely together and it's not a totally straightforward melody that they're repeating over and over again. Um, <clears throat> so like, you're being kind of confined by that element, mm -hmm. by, by you and your ensemble mate having the same thing, um, which is actually a hard thing to do, to do well, like as an ensemble to play, because there's like, there's also a lot of um, like shaping that happens with the music as well mm -hmm. that they have to have at the same time. So there's just so many things that they have to communicate. And on top of that, the other ensemble who at times are playing their own, it's kind of like, it's two different ensembles almost, you know, mm -hmm. it's two versus three. And the other three are kind of trying to trip up the other two because, <laughs> because. Let's throw in one more roadblock. Yeah. And <laughs> so you have the metronome that's going on. So it's like, I have to make sure that I am very rhythmically accurate. You know, it's like, we're almost practicing. Yeah. That's what it, that's what the box felt like for me. It seems like they're practicing this over and over again, trying to get it to perfection. But then mm -hmm. you have the ensemble where they're doing like snap pizzicato, but it's at a totally different rate than the metronome. But they're kind of becoming their own metronome at the same time. Right. Yeah. So it's uh -huh. like that's another thing where it's just like I have to make sure that I listen to the actual metronome, not the ensemble <laughs> metronome. But then there are other times where. Um, <clears throat> The, the other three ensemble members are playing less of a combative role, you know, mm -hmm. and more of a, they become like the oozing and the seeping from the melody that, yeah. so they become more of a, a accompanying partner than just like, hey, we're tripping you up. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's just a lot of different levels of like, you're totally confined within the restraints of this movement, like don't mess it up, <laughs> you know, just keep moving forward, you know, but make sure that you're not speeding up. You're not slowing down. You have to maintain this, this level of consistency. Right. So. Well, let's listen to it. And this is the Loon Lake Ensemble. Yes. So we're going to hear from On Shapes and Figures, movement one on Resilience Springs and movement two in a box. Thank you. 
so let's talk about the last piece. And this is your duo for violin and piano. And I think I saw on your website. By the way, I love your website. It looks great. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think I saw on your website. This was from like 2014. Yes. the We're talking about the, the duo. duo. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. <laughs> it seems like so long ago, way back in my youth <laughs> right <laughs> so tell me about the opening of this piece i mean this piece is only about you know four minutes 20 seconds and the first yeah. minute or so is solo violin that's true yeah so i mean a, a good portion of this i mean formally is just de- is dedicated to a solo voice. I thought I thought with, you know, this being kind of a a shorter piece that was an interesting choice to make. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely wanted to try out a different a lot of different techniques um for the violinist that I was working with at that time. Um this is this was for a a project that I did when I was a part of the Oh, I don't remember the French translation right now, which is awful. It's awful, Jessica. It's it's uh, the Montreal Montreal Contemporary Lab, but that okay. in French. Right. And they have a a, a summer workshop, and they um, had me as one of the the featured composers. So, what's really fun about this workshop is that they have you only have a couple days to complete a piece and work with. Um, work mm. with a couple people like so you're pushing out music pretty quickly <laughs> speed speed writing so yeah. there's there's a little bit of that that you know of course um <laughs> inspired the form of the piece just like mm-hmm. the amount of time but I mean actually I mean it's just both the violinist and the the pianist I were working I was working with were so incredibly talented. I wanted to showcase them in different ways. And yeah, she seemed like she she was really fantastic at doing a lot of different extended techniques. So mm-hmm. I wanted to, to just kind of experiment with her and kind of experiment beyond what I'm used to as far as different sounds that I'm used to making with the violin as far as composing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's kind of an exploratory piece overall but especially for that that opening page or so right where the and it violin seem, is all alone it seems like this piece i mean we've been talking about repetition mm-hmm. um it seems like there's a bit in here and i mean what was really truly interesting to me about this piece is that you know it kind of takes this form of it is uh, it's a little bit of a just a crescendo yeah. And then when you when you finally reach the the peak of that about the last 30 seconds of the piece mm-hmm. the last 30 seconds left me wanting so much more because you yeah. actually introduced new material in the last few bars. <laughs> no, and I was like, "Whoa, wait, 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 where did that go? That was so awesome." <laughs> yeah, and it's also like one of the more traditional sounding pieces I think of of mine mm-hmm. especially with the the most recent that and the the piano part is very piano-y meaning like yeah. it feels it feels like 
I do like the piece. I think it's a lot of fun and I would like to play it again. But there is, you know, there's some pieces that you look to in the past and it's just like, it kind of reminds you of high school you when you like tried mm-hmm. to write with like Rachmaninoff a lot. Like yeah. it doesn't do that quite, but it's very like, clearly I'm a pianist composer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, overall it's a, it's a lovely it's a lovely piece, and I, I think that um, both of the women who I've just pulled up their names, Fanny, oh my goodness, Fanny Fassad and Melanie Kulin, and my apologies if I'm butchering their names because I most <laughs> certainly am, um, but they're, yeah, they're absolutely brilliant at what they do, and yeah, they, they brought a lot of life to this piece, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I mean it's it it really is a beautiful piece. And it it just has that kind of, you know, gem-like quality mm-hmm. to it. It's just like this is what it is. That's all you're going to get, yeah. but you're going to but you're going to like every minute of it. So yeah. so let's listen to it now. Um right after you said their names, I'm going to make you say them again. So <laughs> so we're going to hear duo for violin and piano and the performers are Fanny Fassad and Melanie Kulnin.
now we've come to the last question that I ask all the um, composers, artists, guests that are on the podcast. And that is, uh, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? How did I come to music? Yeah. Like, what is my beginning origin story? I guess it could be that. Like, for instance, for me, it was, you know, I was into music in some form or another. And then in my second year of undergrad, I was in a theory class and I heard a Steve Reich piece and I was like, oh, my God. Okay, it all clicked into place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So I, I had always had like lofty expectations of like my musical life since I was pretty young. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I mean, I was, I was, I was the sort of kid who um, spent a lot of time in her head. That is all of my childhood. Like I really had a very developed imagination and I loved, like I loved, I had all sorts of kids to play with around the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But I loved my alone time. And um, a part of my alone time became practicing the piano. And further from practicing the piano, coming up with stuff at the piano that felt really good. And yeah. <laughs> just coming up with all sorts of ideas. And um, I went to an art school, in middle, middle school and high school. I went to Denver School of the Arts because I'm originally from Denver, Colorado. And yeah, I, I remember um, playing Bartok and Mozart and stuff like that in middle school and hating it at that time, especially the Bartok. I especially hated Bartok, mm. who, who once, I, once I got to college, once I got a much more yeah. refined taste, I loved Bartok. But as a kid, I was like, why am I playing Bartok? while all the other guys are playing Rachmaninoff and all this showy stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I used to compose music for myself that felt like what the boys were playing. Yeah. (laughs) Because I thought that's what, like, that's what real genius composers, you know, obviously I'm a genius, you know? Like, like it's just like, at that age, like, you're so full of yourself. Like, I I was a very sweet kid, but, like, in my head, I was like, yeah, things are going to be pretty sweet. I don't know what it is to be a composer. I've never seen one ever in my life, but, like, I must be the only one, you know? Because I didn't know anybody else who was doing it. So I would always plan for, like, this future of, of, like, somehow creating music um, or somehow being involved with the orchestra. And, um, yeah... I eventually, it's, it's funny, like I, I had a bit of a, a falling out with, with composing and music in general after high school because I, I didn't, again, I was not aware that there was a composition major mm-hmm. until um, actually two months after the deadline to apply oh. for <laughs> school. But I, yeah. I was told to just, like one of the professors was like, you need to absolutely submit your materials like this is good stuff and I submitted it and they thankfully allowed me in and they gave me a pretty good scholarship and that's kind of what started the journey and yeah I I had never known that there are other composers out there like I even even with going to an art school like yeah like I nobody ever told me that 
outside of like movie music. Like I, I thought that that's maybe what a composer was. Even that was never really discussed. Mm-hmm. I, I know that with um, DSA, Denver School of the Arts, now they have a composition program. But back in my day, I didn't know nothing. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I just didn't have this information available. Um, I mean, it's so it's so interesting. You know, I've done I've done quite a bit of these, and that is probably the thing I hear the most from hmm. everyone really? is that like you know I was I was kind of in music but but whatever whatever and then and then there was a moment where they figured where the person figured out like oh yeah this is a thing this is a thing there's other people who are doing it but it's always aren't in dead and European yeah. but it's always <laughs> in that like middle school high school area where no one no one is getting this information that there are real composers, that yeah. they are still writing music. They're alive. You can yeah. talk to them, you know. And, and I that's mean, a big that... part of the program that I work for right now. It's kind yeah. of like the redeeming thing where it's just like I'm trying to show the world like, no, little girl, there are composers. I'm yeah. one too. And then they're like, I don't know if I want to be a composer, but there's going to be one. <laughs> like if that's what a composer becomes, then... Yeah, yeah, it's just, I just remember back when I was a kid, just thinking I was, I really just thought I was messing around and coming up with stuff. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it was a very private activity. Like, it was just something that you don't really, you're not going to perform this at a show. Like, even within my head where I'm, like, being, like, I'm hearing my biography on Channel 12 on PBS or something like that (laughs) on how amazing I am. Like, in reality... I was, I never planned on like giving a recital of my music. Like yeah. somehow there was going to be that leap, but there's right. like no connection <laughs> because it's just like, yeah, there's those, both, both of those extremes. Like, it's like, no, I don't want anybody to hear this. Like, mm-hmm. cause who's, who's doing this anyway? Um, who would really care? And yeah. And, <laughs> and then college both helped but also hindered <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's just kind of a it's a mixture it's a mixture of things going to college you know because on one hand like it opens so many doors and i met so many people and i i listened to composers like other music that i heard as a kid from a totally different level and I yes, fell in love. Yeah. I remember, like, for the first time, really hearing Stravinsky. And I think everybody says this, but it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And then, like, moving beyond, like, just the 20th century, like, there's stuff in the 21st century that's happening right now that's amazing. You know, it's just, yeah, there's all of that. But then there's, like, extreme self-deprecation and insecurity that comes with it. And I don't know if that's just from my disadvantage of, of not having been very well versed or like having never met other composers. I'm wondering because there are other composers that I had met, but they were, they were getting their doctorates though. Maybe that's the difference. I mean, in my experience, when you're getting your doctorate, that's the time when you have the most like, uh, you know, imposter anxiety. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm serious. Like every anyone that you meet that's in their doctorate, if they come off like 
being very, you know, I, sure of themselves and whatever. It's just a show. All oh, everyone man. who goes through that is just it, they're in some stage yeah. of being completely yeah. broken. <laughs> because it happens to everyone, I'll tell you. That's like, very very true. See, like now I can see that, but I remember being 17 yeah. and going into that program at Le Mans and at that time the composition program was very very tiny. And on top of that, I was the only female, I was the youngest, and the only minority. And so I felt so much, so different, you know, mm-hmm. like, and so behind. And just, I just felt like I really popped out when I came into the room. It's just like, there she is. There's that girl. She's coming in, you know. And yeah, around all these older men who just seemed so confident and cocky and like had this vocabulary that, you know, whenever I tried it on, it felt, it, it didn't feel like my own, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't know if I even answered your question though. That's you totally answered the did question. I, did I? Okay. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so before we go, can you tell people where they can hear more of your music and uh, reach out and connect with you if they want? Sure, yeah, I have a SoundCloud page for one thing, and I also have my webpage. Should I? <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Make sure that I have. Yeah, so that's jessmaysmusic.com. So J E S S M A Y S music.com. May's like many months of May. So that's, that's a me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, Jessica. Yeah, absolutely. This is such a pleasure. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.